of the Lord. What a privilege it is to be in the presence of the Lord. Sometimes I think we take that for granted. The privilege that we have been granted, that we have Almighty God living and dwelling and abiding within us. And when we come together, He is here among us. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there, He said, shall I be in the midst. There should be no question that when we come together as His people, He is here. Amen. We don't have to wait on His arrival. We bring Him with us. Amen. We bring Him with us. I invite your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'd like to read verses 3 through 7 in your hearing this morning. This has been one of those weeks when I felt all week long I had received direction from the Lord on what to minister this morning. And had it all put together. And through the middle of the night last night into the wee hours of this morning, the Spirit kept waking me up. Of course, being a slow learner, I didn't catch on right away. Until finally about 4 a.m. this morning, it dawned on me that he had another direction he wanted me to go. So, uh, the Lord has uh, given me something uh, to minister to you today, and I want to share that with you. Uh, We are living in an hour when it is absolutely essential, imperative on our part as the church to live for Jesus Christ with a passion like we have never had before. Not to show off or not to be super spiritual or to be seem to be super religious, but so that we may convey to a world in need and to lives that are in devastation the reality that we can know a Savior who has all the answers, who's credible, who we can put all of our trust and our hope and our confidence in. Amen. There's not too many things today you can have confidence in, but you can surely have confidence and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. As my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded it is in you also. A little little history there. Paul said, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The very idea of stirring something up invokes work. I realize in our modern world we have mixers and we have all these other gadgets and so forth that will do that for us, but thinking from biblical terminology, that that implies work. There's something to be done to stir up the gift that is within us. He said, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. Back some years ago when we were involved in uh, retirement center and nursing home ministry and we had services on Sundays a- Sunday afternoons periodically, when you was there conducting service in one of these facilities, if you offered the residents there the opportunity and privilege to make a song request, there were two songs that you could almost guarantee without question would be requested. 
for you to sing. One of those was, what a friend we have in Jesus. That was top on the list. If you ask them, what do you know, is there a song you would like for us to sing? I assure you that would be the first one would come out of somebody's mouth. What a friend we have in Jesus. And the second one was, he's the lily of the valley. Oh, they love those two songs. And if you give them the opportunity, that's what they wanted to sing. And that's what they wanted to worship by. That song says, I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley in Him alone I see all I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow He's my comfort. In trouble He's my stay. He tells me every care on Him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Amen. Now for some of you, you may not have heard that song before. It may be new, but for old timers, it was very familiar to me when I would sit on the arm of the pew as just a youngster growing up. We sang that song quite often. Now it is evident from biblical history The Apostle Paul found and knew God's purpose for his life. Can we say today that we have found and we know God's purpose for our life? And from it came his incredible passion. Paul knew without question what he was called to do and what his God-given mission was here on this earth. And he pursued it with every ounce of passion that was in him. You see, the definition of passion, I don't know what you think of when you think of passion. Maybe you think of somebody that's loud and boisterous and, uh, and outgoing and, and very demonstrative in what they do. But in its simplest and purest form, it's a strong emotion and a desire to be involved with or do something. That's all it is. It's simply, passion is, in its simplest form is a strong emotion and a desire to be involved with or to do something. Now, there's a couple of things that really stand out as it relates to serving Jesus Christ with passion in the day and hour in which we live. First of all, passion energizes us. Amen. From time to time, I need a little energy. In fact, more often now than it used to be. And some of you are telling me it gets better. A passionate person with limited ability will outperform a passive person with great ability. Remember that. Because passionate people act with boundless enthusiasm. I'm telling you, we have a Savior who we can be enthused about. Amen. We have a God who loves us and we can be enthused about what He is, who He is, and what He's doing in our lives. The second thing is, passion overcomes fear. I've always said if people want to do something bad enough, they'll figure out a way to do it. Passion overcomes fear. What makes people take risk, go the extra mile and do whatever it takes to achieve their goals? It's passion. 
It's passion to do something. Passion and that long, that deep desire and sense that, that this is it. I've got to do it. And as long as passion is there, it doesn't matter how often we fail. And we're going to fail. Go like this. We are going to fail. It's a given. I guarantee you, as long as you're human, you will fail. We're going to fail. No matter how often we fail or if others are against us, we don't stop until we succeed because passion is the driving force behind what we're doing. The third thing is, passion drives us until we find what we're looking for. In fact, Solomon, the wise man, writes this as penned in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. From the New International Version. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Something tells me that if you had a a diamond worth several thousand dollars and you lost it somewhere in your home, you would passionately turn that home upside down till you found it. There would be nothing left unturned because it has value. It's something that you... And Solomon is saying here, if you would look for silver, if you look for silver and gold and search for it, for, search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If we would search... For the fear of the Lord and, and for the knowledge of God with that kind of passion. Oh my goodness. What God could do and accomplish through us. Amen. I read a story about Socrates in which a proud young man supposedly asked Socrates. He says, oh great Socrates, I came to you for knowledge. Socrates proceeds to lead this young man down to the sea into waist-deep water. And Socrates says to the young man, now imagine they're standing in waist-deep water. He says to the young man, tell me again what you want. The young man declares knowledge. Socrates, he just reaches up and he just pushes him under the water. Holding him there for about 30 seconds. Letting him up, Socrates asks him again. Now what are you searching for? What do you want? Again, Socrates pushes him under the water. When he let him up again, he asked, what do you want? He said, knowledge, O wise, and he managed to spit out before Socrates pushed him under again. This time, even longer. He asked him one more time, what do you want? Repeated Socrates. Young man coughed and gasped. He said, air, he shouted, I want air. Then Socrates replied, when you want knowledge as much as you want air, you'll get knowledge. When we want Jesus Christ as much as we want air, we'll get knowledge. When we want Him as much as we want the breath that we breathe, friend, we'll know Him like we have never known Him before. When we look for Him and desire Him and search for Him as much as we do for that next breath of air that we breathe, friend, I'm telling you, it will build in us a passion and a desire. We'll want to share it with the world. If you want Jesus Christ and eternal life as much as you want air to breathe, then you'll find Him. 
when we serve and live for Jesus Christ with the same passion as we do for the air we breathe, then there is no end to what God can do through you and I. Amen? There's no end. There's nothing impossible with God. I learned that a long time ago. The problem is me. There's nothing impossible with God. And oh, my friend, when we serve and live for Jesus Christ with the same passion as we do for the air that we breathe, then there is no end to what God can do through us. Here's something that I think is important for us to remember. The keys to living successfully are knowing who you are, that being your calling. Everyone has a calling. Everyone has a ministry. Everyone's been called to preach. Now, wait a minute. Everyone's been called to tell the gospel. Preaching is simply heralding a message. That's not pulpit ministry now. Everyone's been called to ministry. So, that being your calling and what you're supposed to do, that being your destiny... You see, without these, you're like, as one writer put it, an octopus on roller skates. Can you imagine what an octopus would look like on roller skates? Lots of movement, but no real direction. Lots of movement, but no real direction. Another very important key is having the spiritual and emotional fuel to get there. You see, as it relates to living for Jesus Christ with passion, there are two basic kinds of people. Are you ready? Those with low flame, low, L-O-W, low flame. When you don't like what you're doing, you become like Eddie, whose grandmother was an opera lover. I like this little story. The story goes when Eddie turned eight. Grandma took him to see the opera performance in German. Now that'd be me like going to see the opera in German. I wouldn't understand the thing. Well, the next day, Eddie wrote Granny a note which read, Dear Granny, thanks for the birthday present. It's what I always wanted, but not very much. <laughs> Love, Eddie. I said all of that to say, it's difficult to achieve when you don't have much desire to do so. Perhaps the old saying is true, find something you like to do so much that you'd gladly do it for nothing. And if you learn to do it well, someday people will be happy to pay you for it. The next kind of person is those with no flame whatsoever. I hear people say from time to time they feel burned out. Have you ever felt that way? That doesn't make you a bad person. Sometimes we just overextend ourselves and we're beyond the point of we're burnt out. While this is no doubt truth, the fact is there are some folks who were never on fire to begin with. A guy by the name of Norman Cousins said, Death isn't the greatest loss in life. The greatest loss is what dies inside us while we're living. You see, if we're not careful, we could end up like the man whose tombstone read, Died at 30 but buried at 60. We cannot afford to let that happen to us, friend. We have too much to offer. We have too much to give. We have so much going on for us. And that's why Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy, he said, I remind you to stir up the gift 
Store up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when we find our God-given purpose, along with it comes our passion, our hunger, our desire, and our willingness to give everything we have to that cause and to that purpose. I admire folks who give everything they have to their cause and their calling and their purpose in life. Will we have to fan the flames from time to time? Oh, yes, we will. There'll be times you'll find yourself burnt out. In fact, I find myself having to fan the, fan the flames regularly. However, it will energize us and carry us to our destination. Amen? Jesus told his parents at the age of 12. Now imagine with me for a moment. This young fellow is 12 years old. They had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on their way back, he somehow sidetracked and got off into the synagogue or the temple or whatever it was. And he's debating with the doctors and the lawyers. And he's just messing with them. And he's challenging what they're saying. And he's, well, you know the story. It's in the Bible. So mom and dad, they realize he's gone. They can't find him anywhere. They traveled in caravans of people when they went to Jerusalem to worship. And they're on their way back home. And they realize Jesus isn't with them. This 12-year-old whippersnapper, he snuck out somewhere and he's gone. And, and they don't know. They start looking for him. And they're looking all over and can't find him. And finally, they found him. There he was, debating with the doctors and the lawyers, the scribes and the Pharisees. He asked them, he said, why did you seek me? In Luke 2 and 49, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Long before he was even at the age of maturity and ready to step out into the ministry that he had been called for, he was already deeply involved in his mission. Then later on, Jesus announced to his disciples, as long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. I want you to please note the word must in there. Jesus knew what He was called to do, and He refused to allow anything to stand in the way of doing it. The fact of the matter is, when we prioritize our life according to our God-given passion, we do run the risk of being misunderstood. We run the risk of being criticized by those who simply do not understand or are driven by a different set of priorities. However, we must ask ourselves this question. Would I rather live with the pain or risk or the pain of regret? Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you. Stir it up. From time to time, we need to stir it up. The songwriter continued... The song that I spoke about moments ago. He said, all my grief has taken and all my sorrows borne. Jesus Christ has taken all your grief. He's taken all, my, all our sorrows. In temptation, He's my strong and mighty tower. Oh, when I'm tempted, I don't have to stand on my own. Uh, when I'm tempted to doubt and wonder and think, you know, God, where are you? He's my strong and mighty tower. He's there. I have all for Him forsaken and all my idols torn from my heart. And now He keeps me by His power. What a blessed promise that He keeps us by His power. 
though all the world forsake me. And Satan tempts me. So have anybody here besides me been tempted by Satan? I know, I was being facetious. I, I understand that you, you live for Jesus Christ very long. You've, he's tried to run you down. But he says, oh, though all the world forsake me and Satan tempts me sore. Listen, through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. Why? Because he's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He's the beautiful rose of Sharon. He's our rock in a weary land. He's our shelter in a time of storm. Oh, friend, He is everything and all of that and so much more. John Maxwell said, and I quote, There are many things that will catch my eye, but there are only a few that catch my heart. It is those I consider to pursue. End of quote. If your priorities are not aligned with your passion, I suggest that you begin making some changes in your life right away. Jeremiah had prophesied the word of the Lord to King Pasher, and it angered King Pasher so much that he struck Jeremiah, smacked him around a little bit, then he threw him in prison. Thanks a lot. Jeremiah was doing what he was instructed to do. He prophesied the word of the Lord to King Pasher, and for his reward, King Pasher slaps him around and throws him in prison. Not only in jail cell, but put him in stockades. In fact, here's a brief historical summary of Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's life and ministry. Jeremiah is an Exquisite example of someone who succeeded in being willing to walk in faith, to speak in faith, and to obey in faith regardless of the personal cost. This godly young man may not have appeared successful in either his life or his ministry, as some would define success. Throughout more than 40 years of ministry, he was scorned. Oh, he was mocked, he was discarded, he was laughed at, falsely accused, in prison, starved, and physically abused. Both religious and political rulers as well as his own family rejected him as his, and his words. No wonder they called him the weeping prophet. However, in all of this, he served the Lord and lived his life for the Lord with passion. In fact, after the king had treated him as he did, Jeremiah expressed his passion for God this way. You might have felt this way from time to time. I have. Here's what he said in Jeremiah 29. Then I said, now remember, this is a guy has been beaten up. He's been put in stockades. He's been put in prison for doing what was right. He said, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name. You all don't want to hear it. I just won't say it anymore. That's it. I'm done. Never felt that way. That's it. I just won't preach anymore. Y'all want it. Y'all, y'all just don't want to hear about God. You don't want to hear about the right things. That's okay then. I, I'm tired of it. I've been beat up. I've been, I, I, I just won't make mention of him. I'm just not going to speak anymore of his name. But I want you to notice what happens. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back. 
and I could not. Today, he may not feel too much like doing it, but I guarantee you by the midnight hour comes, there's something burning inside and he's ready to get out and get to business again and speak about the things of God. Amen? If you've ever built a fire, you know that it does have a tendency to go out, especially if you don't do it right. You must feed and protect it. It starts out small and just a little blaze. And if you put your kindling in there right and you've got things set up right as it begins to burn and builds heat, it begins to grow. And, but you have to protect that. You have to do it right. And the fact of the matter is not everyone will help you do that when it comes to building a fire in your life. For the most part, there are two kinds of people you'll meet in life. Fire lighters and fire extinguishers. I'm going to share a couple things with you before I close. I'm almost done. The first of these two will inspire you. They will encourage you. They will go out of their way to help you. Say, yeah, you can do it. With God's help and with His guidance and direction, with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you can accomplish what He's sending you out to do. However, the second group will throw cold water on you. I suppose the question is lingering in someone's mind, well, how can I tell the difference? How do I know? Who's helping me and who's fighting against me? Who's, who can I look to? Who can I trust? Well, the fire extinguishers will use phrases like this. It's not in the budget. No, we can't do that. That's not practical. Uh, no, we've tried that before and it didn't work. This is my favorite. If it isn't broke, don't fix it. Well, who will do all the extra work? There's always extra work involved. I don't care what you go to do. There's always extra work involved. I went out to do something around the house the other day, there at the yard. Happened to look out the back door. And one of them big old oak trees had uprooted and was laying over. And I didn't know whether it was going to go back and crush the fence or whether it was going to come over and hit the house. So there went my plans for the day. I had to get chainsaws out and ladders and go to cutting trees down. doesn't make any difference what you go to do. There's always extra work. I hadn't planned on doing that at all. We don't have enough experience. We don't have enough talent or education, etc., and on and on and on. Of course, this one here you've probably heard from time to time. Maybe mom and dad might have looked at you and said this. Who do you think you are? You told mom, well, I'm going to do this. I want to be that. Who do you think you are? If you've heard one or more of those excuses coming from the people around you, pray for them, love them, but don't let them influence you. God's got a greater vision. He's got a greater purpose. Oh, but pastor, we live in difficult times and really there's not too much going on that people are interested in. I'm telling you, if we serve him with passion and they see the passion and the fire growing within us and our excitement and our enthusiasm for Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, it will make a difference. Fire extinguishers focus on what's wrong rather than what is right. 
They find the cloud that comes with every silver lining. They doubt. They resist change. They keep you from reaching higher by trying to put out the fire of your passion. I will admit, sometimes there are those who do this deliberately, while there are others who extinguish the fire unknowingly. It's just their nature. The important thing is to handle them with care and spend more time with fire lighters who view you not as you are, but as you could be. Amen? Who fuel your faith and ignite your passion. Oh, friend, there's a world today out there that is hungry and longing to know and to experience the power and the joy and the thrill that you and I know in serving Jesus Christ. Amen? As Brother David makes his way up this morning, another stanza of the writer concluded, He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here. Did you hear that? I, I don't know this songwriter. I, I, I could have looked in the book and found out who penned the words of this song, but I didn't beforehand. I probably should know it, and I don't. But I don't know their experience they had with the Lord, but one thing I can tell you, they knew Him, and they knew Him experientially. When they say, He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here, while I live by faith and do His blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I have nothing now to fear. With his manna, he my hungry soul shall fill. Then sweeping up to glory to see his blessed face, where rivers of delight shall ever roll. Oh, because he's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Friend, I want you to leave here today encouraged and fired up with joy and passion in the reality and the truth that we have a friend and a Savior like Jesus. Amen. He didn't start us on this road to desert us, to desert us halfway through. He didn't start us on this way to leave us somewhere dangling. But Paul said, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Would you stand this morning? Amen. Let's worship Him for just a moment as we allow His Spirit to just impart to us a refreshing and a renewing, a revitalization of that passion and fire that began burning within you. Some of us many, many years ago, and often from time to time, we need a reignition and a renewing and a rekindling of that fire, the storing up, as Paul said, of the gift that is within us. Amen? Let's do so. Let's worship. I 